join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Amen. So good to be with you. And uh, we are in a series called Reclaiming Church. And this morning I want to talk to you about being wanting, or to be in want, to be wanting. Uh, what does that mean? If uh, every now and then in the summer times, Beth and I will pull out our, our bikes and we'll go on a bike ride, uh, not as much as I'd want to. But, uh, you know, in our cabinet or, in our, or sometimes on the bike, remember those water bottles that sat on your bicycle, you know, that slid down the sleeve in the middle? Uh, just imagine if you were to take out an old water bottle and you found that there was some water in there from last year, what would you do? Would you just fill up the top to overflowing, screw it back on and just say, let's, let's ride, buddy? No, what would you do? You would empty it out and then fill it back up. Why? Because you would, if you filled it up, you would just be filling up a dirty vessel. And chances are, as you, you might feel full, the water bottle might feel full, but uh, in a little while, you're not going to feel right. <laughs> After you begin to drink that thing, you're going to feel full for a minute, but it's going to not feel right later on because you've just topped off a dirty vessel. Or perhaps it's springtime and you're getting your lawnmower all ready from the winter, and sometimes either in your lawnmower and your gas can, that fuel can settle. And uh, sometimes if you look in your lawnmower, you see some, little, some dirt down there in the, the gas tank. And you can just top off that vessel with that old gas and put the new gas on top of it. Uh, but a little while, guess what? You're going to be puttering. Uh, you're going to be trying to move forward, and you're not going to be able to move forward very well. Why? Because you just topped off a dirty vessel. It's got to be emptied and then refilled with the good stuff. Otherwise, you will not be able to move forward. And that's really the same in the Christian life. You can get to a point where you've settled. And any time we settle, guess what? Any time you settle and you start to move forward, there's just going to be some puttering. There's going to be some trouble moving forward in your life. And the Christian life is designed to be this constant burning, this constant refueling and constant burning and constant filling and constant burning, that we keep moving forward in our spiritual journey and following Christ. And anytime we find ourselves not moving forward well, that's a good time to take some self-examination, to get emptied and to refill again. But the problem is, uh, myself included, sometimes we can get to a point in our Christianity where we think we've arrived. Now, we'll never say that. We'll never admit. We'll all say, yeah, I know, Pastor. I could always do better. I know I should be better. I know I could do more. I know I always need to read my Bible. Myself, I know I should pray more. I know I could read my Bible more. I know I should turn off those things and, and get into the Word. I could turn the TV off tonight and go in my closet and pray or my bedroom and pray. Yeah, I could get up early. But you know, I think in your head you say, I think I'm doing okay. You get to a certain point in your Christianity and you think we've arrived. And so what happens? We settle. We're no longer desperate for more of God. We're no longer taking leaps of faith. We're no longer vibrant in our public declaration of Jesus. It's not filling our Facebook walls anymore. It's not filling our conversations at the dinner table. He's not filling our family talks. He's not filling our conversations with our coworkers because we've arrived. We've settled. 
We stop seeing ourselves as this poor, desperate sinner in need of a Savior, so we begin to fit in with culture more than we stand against it. We settle in our way of interpreting Scripture. We think we've understood the doctrines. We've got the main doctrines down. We know what our denominational beliefs are, our preferences. We, we think we've heard it all. Of course, in America, we've heard thousands and thousands of sermons and podcasts and been to Sunday school and Bible studies and small groups. We're doing pretty well. So we've got this Christianity thing figured out. And so what happens? We become proud of this Christian performance. I go to church. I know the songs. I halfway listen to the pastor. And then we go home. But we're not moving forward. We're puttering. We think we're full of Christ, but our fuel is mixed. And we're just as full of the world because there's no wanting. There's no longer a need. There's no sense of a lack. There's no desire to be filled. And our pride has kept us from being poor in spirit. And our busyness has kept us from being beggars at his table. Do you and do I have all we want of God? And of course I'll say no. But how well am I moving forward? You see, the fullness of Christianity is a lifelong pursuit of God. The fullness of Christianity is never settling, it's never arriving. The fullness is when you are in a lifelong pursuit of, moving, of following God, a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. And that lifelong pursuit, just as if you were to take that lawnmower and to drive from here to St. Louis, Missouri without stopping, just like our aircrafts, do and they have to have that aircraft uh, refueled midair. It takes a continual burning and a continual refilling and a continual burning and a continual refilling unless you want to stop and settle. So look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. This is a section of Corinthians you could entitled, We've Arrived. And Paul is written, writing back now to the Corinthian church after a few years, and we've been in this text for a little while. But he's writing back after hearing doctrinal problems, division problems, sexual immorality, and mostly pride. He's heard there's divisions among them, and they're boasting in their preferences. They're boasting in their spiritual gifts. They're boasting in their interpretation, and they think they've got it all figured out. And so they've become proud in their wisdom, and now they've got little regard for Paul. And in fact, they're thinking, even though Paul planted the church, they're like, thanks, Paul. Thanks for getting us started, but we got it from here. We got our interpretations. We like who we want to follow. We've got the man. God has poured out his spiritual gifts. We're blessed. We're actually not even being persecuted so much right now in Corinth. And then Paul writes and says, well, you've got a lot of talk, but I want to see your power. And so here's what he writes with a lot of sarcasm. I love this section. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, You're already filled. You've already become rich. You've become kings without us. And indeed, I wish you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. Note the sarcasm. He says, But I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we're without honor. And to this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty. 
poorly clothed, roughly treated, and are homeless. And when we toil, we work with our own hands, and when we're reviled, we bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure. And when we're slandered, we try to conciliate. And when we've become as the scum of the world, the dredge of all things, even until now. They say, we've arrived. And then Paul says, man, I wish you had arrived, because that means I'd have arrived. Man, I wish you were kings, because that means we'd be in heaven right now, reigning together. I wish you had it all figured out, because then I wouldn't have to be writing you right now about all the problems that are so blatantly evident in your church. He says, you've received all the wisdom and knowledge you've needed. And he says, I really wish I could be just as mature and holy of a Christian as you. (laughs) Can you imagine the Apostle Paul speaking to you that way? He compares, what he's doing is he begins to compare himself and the other apostles to these slaves. They were often, when the Roman legions would go out and conquer a new territory, They would often uh, take over a country, establish some guidelines, and let that country continue to serve their own gods. They'd mix their gods with them, but they would also take a parade back to Rome, a victory parade. And in that parade would be the legions, the Roman army, the general that would lead the victory, and a procession of slaves or captives, even elephants and and all these things that they'd uh, taken from Africa and stuff, and they'd show the show them off and it would take some of these things would take days of parades just to show all that Rome had conquered and in the end they would have these slaves or servants that would be given into Rome Roman society into Roman the elite okay some of these slaves would be given to the gladiatorial games and they would be paraded around the gladiatorial games and shown off and many of them mocked and often almost all the time we would they would die fighting in some kind of theater okay And so Paul is saying, he's like, but we are like this. You are sitting in the bleachers and you're reigning and you've got it all figured out. But we are in this parade of people who have been processioned as we have become slaves to Christ. We have been in front of the world mocked and ridiculed and abandoned. We've become a slave to the things of Jesus Christ and we've been abandoned and we're headed to death for knowing him. I think about the, um, the modern church here and the persecuted church in this section. I think very much about if this was a letter today, it would, I could see the persecuted church writing to the church of America, writing to the Western church and how often in the U.S. we think we're doing good in our pursuit of Christ. After all, God has really, really blessed us. He's given us homes that we can spend our time watching TV in. He's giving us lots of money to go on vacation every year. Cars, we can drive anywhere we want, a boat to take on the lake, paid pastors with PowerPoint, comfy churches and Bible apps and convenient podcasts and so much more God has given us. And yet I think about the churches across the world. Some right now are hiding in house churches in China, worshiping today for fear of the government coming and taking away their Bible and their pastor. I think about the church in Nigeria just this week that Christians were rallied together in their church and the Muslim militants burned all the buildings around the church and then burned the church with the believers inside just this last week. I think about the stories I've read from the missionaries of China who said that then they went into the furthest reaches of the jungles of China. They found convents of Christians coming together and they would come together and they would rip their Bible apart and hand out pieces of it. 
And they would go back and take those pieces of their Bibles and go back into their villages and preach that passage of their scripture and then come back with that passage and trade it for another one. I think about the stories where I've heard of Christians across Africa and Asia, the like, who would travel hours through jungles and deserts just to get to a dirt floor church with no air conditioning to worship God on Sundays. I think about all of our brothers and sisters across the world. I remember one story of, of this pastor who had gone into China to preach years ago and they asked him to preach and he asked, they asked him, or he asked, what would you want me to preach on? And they said, all of it. All of it. And the believers, hundreds of them, gathered for days as he opened up the Bible from Genesis and preached it straight through to Revelation. But it's okay. We've got this Christian thing down here in the States. We're doing pretty good. We've arrived. Are we in wanting? Are we in wanting? What's fueling us forward? And you can say, well, Pastor, it's not like that here. I know, I know it's not, not yet. It's not like that here. But what could I do with the freedoms and the power that God has given me that when I don't live in a place like that, when we have so much comfort, we have so much freedom, can I still keep the same passion for Jesus in both locations? I remember a story of a persecuted pastor and his wife who fled the Middle East and they came to this country. And after a few months or a year or two, the wife begged her husband to go back to their homeland because they said it was so apathetic in the churches here that she was starting to be apathetic in her fierce love of Jesus. And so that family and that missionary, that pastor moved back to a persecuted land where their faith would be on fire for him. You see, the fullness of Christianity is a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. There's nothing less. It is a lifelong pursuit of him. So let me give you three things that Paul speaks to this church. He says, number one, he says, you're filled. You're filled. The Corinthians had felt they'd partaken of everything they needed from God. They stopped eating when they felt full, but the problem was, even though they were full, they were full of mixed things. They felt full, and Paul said, so you think you have all you want, but let me examine what your tank is full of. He says, you're satisfied with your own knowledge of God, and the best way to know how much a tank can contain is to completely empty it out and then pour something into it and then see what the measure is. If it's got water already in there, I don't really know how much it can really contain, how much it can really take in. I empty it, then I fill it, so I know how much it can really hold. And the best way is the same for us. How do, you, how do I know, Paul says to these people, how do I know that you're not full of the right things because beggars aren't boasters? These people were boasting in their spiritual gifts, boasting in their complacency, boasting in their knowledge of doctrine and denominationalism, boasting in their preferences, boasting over their gifts. And he says, but beggars aren't boasters. 
You're in, your, in your opinions, you're divisive. You compete against one another. You've got prejudice of your positions. And he says, well, while you're strong and full over here, I'm weak and empty. You're will, I'm willing to go hungry and thirsty for Christ. And if I'm going to boast, we know Paul said he'd boast about his weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, and this is said to me, he said it to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. So Paul says, that's why I boast in being weak. I boast in my weakness so the power of Christ may dwell in me. The weakest believer is the most powerful believer. The hungry believer is the most full believer. It doesn't make sense in the natural mind, but in the kingdom it does. It's when we're weak, that's when we're strong. When we're empty, that's when we get full. When we're hungry, that's when we're satisfied because we're emptied of this life so we can be full for the next. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, strength that knows itself to be strength is weakness. But weakness that knows itself to be weakness becomes strength. Strength that thinks it's got strength is weakness in the kingdom. But weakness that knows that it's weakness is really strength. And you and I may not be physically hungry today, we're not going hungry physically like some of the persecuted church around the world, but we can still be spiritually hungry. It's hungry children that cry to their parents for food, and it's a good father that feeds them, and that's our father. And you know, here the deal is, hunger is not a one-time thing. How many can say amen to that? Hunger is not a one-time thing. It's a rhythm. I get full, I get hungry. I get full, I get hungry. See that? It's the fueling, just like the lawnmower thing. It's a filling and empty, and filling and empty, and hunger is the same way. You get full today, then you get hungry tomorrow. You get full today, then you get hungry tomorrow, and you never settle just on one meal for the week. You keep getting hungry, and the American church is lacking this intense rhythm of hunger for the Lord. So when's the last time you found yourself totally empty? You see, the reason I don't let my kids munch on junk food throughout the day, all day, is they won't be hungry for the good stuff. And I think we're so full of feeding on Facebook, feeding on social media, feeding on family drama, feeding on my pleasures, feeding on my entertainment, feeding on taking time off so I can watch more TV. And we feed on junk food throughout the day. And when the meal time comes, we're never truly hungry. He says, you're filled but I'm hungry. Number two, he says, you're rich. See, in the Corinthians in their house churches had many spiritual gifts. Some were prophesying and they, had, man, they were doing the good stuff. They were speaking in tongues. They were seeing healings and miracles. People were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you had to think, man, aren't they doing something right? Man, God is probably moving in their church more than he's moved in our church in years. I mean, come on, think about it. Miracles, demons cast out, healings, signs and wonders, tongues and prophecy, interpretations. We're doing pretty good. God's blessed us with the riches of heaven. We've received everything we can get from the Lord. We know all the spiritual gifts. We know all about them. Seen them growing up in Pentecost, man. I, I saw them in the altars. I've seen people run around churches. I've seen people healed, pastored. I've seen people baptized in the Holy Spirit, coming out of the water tank. God, I've seen God move on our faces when people, man, I've seen it. I've been blessed with the riches. So Paul says, so you don't need any more? You don't need any more spiritual gifts? Did you forget that these came by God's lavish grace when you were desperate to have them? 
And he says, in contrast, we've become the scum. And in the Greek, you know what this means, the scum? He says, we've been the dredges, the scum. It is the parts when you're washing your dishes and you cast, get all that cast iron stuff that comes off and you're scraping all that junk that collects at the bottom of your drain. He says, we are like dish scum. We are like the thing in the bottom of your sink for Christ. And you have the riches. Because I'm treated like trash for the pursuit of Jesus in my context. And, and I wish, I'm glad that things are going well for you. But are you willing to be treated like dish scum for the sake of following Christ? You see, rich people are no longer concerned about hunger. They don't have to worry about where their next meal comes from. Rich people don't have to work for the roof over their head like the poor man who's desperate to make ends meet just so he can get through his week. And if they could have that desperation for Jesus that I'm working to see him come in my life, I'm laboring in prayer so I might touch heaven. That's what he's saying. And it's the same thing that Jesus would say to the Laodicean church in Revelation. He says, I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were at least hot or cold because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I'll spit you out of my mouth because you say, I'm rich and I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. We've arrived. We've got it. We know it. We know the doctrine. We know what we know. He says, but you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I wish you would come and buy some real wealth from me. I wish you'd come and seek after me. And you and I may not be physically poor. We may have nice churches and nice things. We may be able to afford vacation. You may be able to afford a new flat screen TV, but you can still be poor in spirit. You can still be poor in spirit. Be poor in pride because there's something you're pursuing to gain the riches of knowing Christ. And lastly, he says, you're kings. You're kings. You see, the Corinthians acted as if God had placed them on a throne. That Man, we are the heirs of Christ. We are the riches of Christ. Man, we are his children, man. We have seated with him in heavenly places, like he said. Seated with him. Man, we are ruling and reigning with Christ. There's nothing more we can earn. We have received everything he has to offer. We've got spiritual knowledge. We've got power, man. But Paul says, yeah, but you still want the praise and honor of men on this earth. You see, you have affluence, but you don't have dependence. And he says, you've been honored, but I've been despised. He says, remember there is a cross that comes before the crown. There's coming a day where you'll lay that crown down at Jesus' feet that you will have rightfully earned. But if you go back to the Gospels, how does he say that you earn that crown? Is that you follow him to the death of self, that you pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You see, the cross comes before a crown. To the death of self, Paul says, think about that, I think about that verse in Hebrews where it says that he was taken outside the camp, made a disgrace, that he suffered outside the camp, and so was, must we. He would even tell Timothy later, he said, godly people will be persecuted. That's a challenge for Americans. Godly people will be persecuted. He's saying, I'm willing to do all of this. And I, it's not like we can go find persecution just so we can check that off our list. That's not what we're talking about this morning. But to come to the place where he, Paul's saying, the reason I'm doing all this, 
The reason I'm willing to go through all this is because I want people to know my Jesus. I want people to know him, how wonderful he is, how beautiful he is. And he told Timothy, he says, 2 Timothy 2, 12, Timothy, if you'll endure suffering with him, if you're willing to endure suffering with him, you'll reign with him. You may not be in physical slavery today, but you can be a slave of Christ. And here's the real test of our Christianity is this. I don't get to choose whether I live in one of these persecuted countries. I don't get to choose whether I get to go through these things like Paul. I'm, I'm not, maybe that's not my context. That's not maybe your context in, in this day in 2021 in America. But I get to choose some things like this. You see, the test of our Christianity often is what comes out of you? What comes out of you when you haven't had a good night's sleep in a while and you're a little cranky? What comes out of you? When people are speaking negative things about you on social media or in your family, what comes out of you? When you're hungry, man, sometimes we get a little cranky when we're hungry, when we're sleepy, when things aren't going so well in our job, when you don't feel like anybody cares what you're doing or appreciates you. What comes out of you when the pressure's on and things start squeezing you? Then we get a little irritated, we get a little impatient, we get a little snappy, we a little get defensive. We start worrying about our reputation. We start, why, why, why they don't like, they like me? Why don't they do this? How come nobody cares what I've done? How come nobody appreciates me? And then the test is proven. You see, Paul boasts in his weakness because in his weakness, that's where he has to rely on Christ and everything comes to the table. The dross of the silver comes to the top and he says, that's when those things are on then I can choose to bless when I'm cursed. I can choose to be content when I don't have anything. I can boast in my infirmity. I can rejoice in my tribulation because that's when I'm weakest. That's when it comes out that Jesus has got to rule over that area of my life. And so Paul brings us to a different type of Christianity that says, have I brought every area into submission to his lordship? And you say, well, no, Pastor Heath, if those things happen, man, I'm, I'm going to get cranky. Then there's more forward movement to be done. You see, when the test is on, we get tried by fire. And James says, the testing of your faith produces endurance to keep moving forward. Have I brought every area into submission to his lordship? Absolutely not. Then there's more work to be done. There's more pursuit of Jesus to be had. There's more fuel to be burned. There's more time to be filled. Sometimes we so easily attempt to reign here on this earth and enjoy this happy, successful life. But what if our trials and troubles, and you say, well, ours aren't very big. Even better. Even better. It's like that couple that went back. It's, it's almost easier to have a fiery pursuit of Jesus in a persecuted land. But how about those that have a fiery pursuit of Jesus when things are going easy, when things aren't so rough? because you have to really, really want it. You have to really, really want it. 
And what if your small trials and your small troubles are meant to reveal how much more I need to trust in Jesus? Because the fullness of Christianity is a lifelong pursuit of knowing Him. I want to realize my dependency. I want to take every little thing that comes my way, every little offense, every little time of apathy, every little thing, and say, Lord, I see something in myself that I need you to burn off in me and then let that fuel be burned off and Lord, then refill again. God, maybe it's a season of depression, a season of anxiety. Maybe it's a season of apathy. Maybe it's little offenses, little unforgivenesses, little things, but they can reveal there's something still yet to be done on the inside of me. I've not yet arrived. I've not yet figured it out. I've got more work to be done and I want to continue to be desperate in love and pursue Jesus Christ. Even when it's easy. Even when it's easy. I want to be in wanting. In wanting. Corinthians, you've been a fool. You've been rich. You've been kings. And Paul says, yeah, but we ought to be poor, hungry slaves. How am I pursuing Christ? Worship team, would you come? Every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Let's take a moment and respond. The first is to repent, to be emptied, to be hungry and poor, to say, Lord, I have not arrived. I admit my dependency on you. Lord, I don't have it all figured out. God, there are areas of my character that need to be burned off and pursued for you. Lord, I, I've been self-sufficient. I've been satisfied in my Christianity right now. That's the first one. The second is to pray and receive. To be in wanting means to be filled, to be fueled, to depend on Him. And He's a good Father. He loves to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask in faith. To be emptied, to be wanting, and then to go from this place moving forward, not settling, not settling. Lord, help me to move forward. Help me to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward in my pursuit of Jesus Christ. Father, I don't have all I want. Lord, I don't know all the answers. Lord, I know that my character needs to be worked on. I know that my joy is not where it ought to be or my, my self-control may not be where it ought to be. Lord, I know that I can pray, Lord, in a deeper place with you. I know, Lord, that I want to fall more in love with you. And Father, I choose not to settle. Even when it's so easy to settle, it's so easy to get into routine, it's so easy to be satisfied with all the pleasures of this life. And Lord, I may not can choose to live in a place like that, but I can choose to have a hunger. I can choose to be emptied of self-sufficiency, emptied of my pride, to boast in my weaknesses, to rejoice when I'm offended, to rejoice when people talk about me, to rejoice if I'm not appreciated enough in this life and in this flesh, but Lord, to find satisfaction in you. Lord, it is times, it is moments like this when we need to say, yes, Lord, I'm not satisfied with this earth. I'm not satisfied, Lord, in this sinful reality 
reality. I'm not looking for pleasure here on this place or through people and their thoughts of me or for my money or my finances or my entertainment. God, I don't find peace with so much TV watching. I don't find, Lord, it's satisfying with so much social media. But Lord, I find it satisfying in your presence. I find it satisfying, God, in your word to labor in prayer, to work for kingdom mission, Lord, to souls to be saved. I rejoice, Lord, when people are saved. Rejoice when people are set free. We rejoice, God, when people hear about you. Lord, it is satisfying to know you, to be in you, to walk with you. Lord, let us be in wanting again. Be in wanting again so easy to come to church so easy to be a Christian in name and face so easy to have it as our status and our religious preference and our denominational understanding and Lord to know it and go through the motions but it's so hard Lord to be in wanting so Lord crucify that flesh in us we repent Lord come to the end of ourself Father, get desperate for you again. Desperate for you again. I want to be in wanting. 